0: Dolores, where did you... Hmm? Inverness. Oh, also a long drive. Somebody told me the ride from Inverness to the reservoir has the most beautiful flowers. Is that true? Okay. There were a ton of bikers out this morning. So thank you for coming, Dolores. Who else? Uh, my name is Randy. From Minneapolis. from Minneapolis. Wow. Uh, you, so obviously you're visiting the Bay Area. What's that? You're visiting the Bay Area?
1: Yes. Well, just, just
0: out here, yeah. You came for Spirit Rock? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons I came. Oh, okay. Well, I'm trying to think of the person I know in Minneapolis Who's very active in that Sangha, who I met years ago, who just sent me a Valentine's Day card because she does every year. What's her name? What's her name? But anyway, I'm sending my regards back to Minneapolis. Thank you. Maybe it'll come to me. Um, my name is Barbara and I'm from San Rafael. I'm glad you came. And I'm Sue, also from
2: San Rafael. Welcome anytime. Who else?
3: Andrew, did you get it to work? No. Okay.
0: Why don't you say what it was that you were going to get to work?
4: Okay. was kind enough to come out to one of the schools that I worked in in Bayview and they did a really lovely piece on it with lots of the kids um, asking, answering questions from the reporter and and some of the activities as well so we were going to show you that and then talk a little bit more about the program so
0: maybe next week we're hoping we can and cooperate. we'll do it next week we will try to do it next week and I, I had said to um andrew let 's do it in the very beginning because then we can have all the organizational help it doesn 't look like today is a day for organizational help anyway so <laughs> but uh, but also to make the point, which I feel really important these days to make the point that uh, a part of the results of of um, contemplative practice or spiritual practice or any practice that we would call waking up practice is we've been talking about waking up to what? Waking up to the fact that there's a way to live that's more skillful than other ways to live. That there are generally that choosing uh nonviolence, choosing um choosing kindness is always uh, a way to keep your own mind clear and uh Choosing something wholesome, make the your life better, but more important, make the world around you better as teaching over the weekend is teaching the um, the the sutta about uh, the Buddha teaching his son to reflect before and during and after doing an act on did I do it right or am I going to cause pain for myself or other people with this. And I, and I thought that it really goes along with the idea of waking up is to really convert the mind to kindness and to not making anything worse for anyone and that it's a cause of happiness. And I just saw Brahmani came in, which reminded me that Ace is here, which reminded me that I didn't say what Ace always says, so Ace could say it now. Introduce yourself to somebody near you that you don't know. Say, why are you here? What are you doing? All right Always the emotional um, temperature of the room goes up when people visit. And I'm sure that you feel waked up a little bit, so we'll sit a little bit. Because it keeps you more awake. It's really what I wanted to talk about with or without Andrew's video today. We'll do it next week because it's always the same. Is that doing something that helps other people makes you feel happier. That uh, that um, it's just occurring to me as I say that that um, the least spoken about, I think, of the eight parts of the eightfold path, eight ways to orient your life to having a li- to having a mind that's kind and meeting every situation with tenderness. One of them is um, wise livelihood and in the in traditional buddhist texts it says wise livelihood is uh, not uh, not carrying arms not being a soldier and uh, not um uh manufacturing alcohol it was one other but it's uh, something that's clearly in that category and limiting because i think that the the bigger wise livelihood is how do I make my money and how, what do I do with my money in a way that's a kindness to other people in the world. That uh, it got more complicated over the years because uh, you could find out suddenly there's an echo in here. There is an echo. What can I do? I already have this pasted. Maybe there's some technical help. <laughs> Otherwise I'll... Well, no, we have to do this because it records it. But is the work that I do for the benefit of all beings? Uh, and can you possibly think about it? And I think at most every job, if you're a bus driver on a Muni, Muni bus, you are definitely doing things for the benefit of everyone. Uh do you remember, uh, maybe if I talk quieter, it won't, softer, uh, it echoes anyway. You don't hear the echo? Nobody hears the echo? Just I hear it. Do you remember last year when there was that terrible fire in Sonoma? And uh, oh, the one in, uh, maybe it was the nearer one, the one in that city, what? Paradise, In the Paradise Fire, there was a bus driver who negotiated his way with a busload of children who were in the bus to take home from school and suddenly there were flames all around them. And against all odds, he drove between flames and sang and did things to keep people's mood up and got them through the fire and out. And you think, well, that's really an extreme. How frequently do bus drivers be surrounded by fire? But they're surrounded by people with valuable lives all the time. And you could think about that and feel feel delighted with yourself. Do you hear that it's echoing? I, I, I do. Some people do, some people don't. Let me try again. It's echoing. You don't sound as clear as you usually do. Okay. But what to do? What to do? Anyway, we'll carry on. So th- I wanted to particularly, I guess I'll tell you the story before we sit, because, and then we'll talk about it because I was so impressed with it on the early morning Channel 2 News yesterday morning I do watch the Channel 2 News it's local news and tells me about what the temperature is going to be and rain not rain they told about and they showed video of a rescue the day before off a cliff somewhere here out at the Pacific Ocean I can't remember if it's just north or just south of here but a woman fell off a cliff and was rescued uh, from a a rocky beach. I guess she landed on something, on some crag on the way down to the rest of the fall down. And uh, I was particularly interested in it because I have a friend who at one point, that got better, thank you. Uh, I have a friend who for part of her career until 10 years ago was on the team up in Sonoma County to go out with the rescue helicopters, they had three helicopters and six pilots and th- three pilots and six nurses, and they rotated for who was on duty. And one of my friends was one of those nurses that would go out. I guess they'd have a, 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 a rescuer as well, and the helicopter goes out over the cliffs, goes, and somebody comes down off a rope gets the person who's stuck and sends them up, either carries them up if they're, or puts them in a basket and the basket goes up and the nurse flies along to do whatever kind of uh, first response has to happen while they fly them to the hospital. So it happened yesterday and they showed pictures of uh, a rescue worker having gotten a woman into one of those... Uh, baskets like a ski basket that they rescue people off the hills a basket and the basket is getting um, uh, raised up and I was happy to say they covered over, the woman was wrapped in a blanket and they covered over her face so she wasn't uh, um, uh, identifiable to anybody watching and they didn't say her name but, which was also a kind thing but she was well and she was going to be well they said she just was cold and, and frightened. And it turned out, they said, she had been hiking alone in the evening and near to the cliff edge, and she um, lost her glasses, or they fell off and she couldn't find them. And she became disoriented and walked off the edge of a cliff. And that somebody saw that and called the rescue people, and they found her and they helped her. And I thought to myself, I was so moved by it because it's really a precarious job for the helicopter pilot, for the person who comes down. It's a lot of effort by the community to go out there and get her. But we do that. We don't say, ah, it's just one person or, you know, uh, know, everybody rises to the occasion and goes and does it. And then I thought about the, she became confused and she went in the wrong direction. And I was thinking about uh, the kind of political animosity that has taken over in this country and the difficulty that people have in thinking about the people who have the other view from the view that you have that you think is, well, this is clearly the right view. And these people, they are deluded. They don't have the right view. Nobody shouted down to her and say, who did you vote for? before they went down and got her. Nor anybody interviewing the person who saved her or the helicopter pilot is going to say, what is your political party affiliation? It doesn't matter. And they probably were all kinds of things. So there are good people all around that suddenly get into the camp of, I like them, I don't like them, they're on my side, they're not my side. They're just people who have other ideas at this time. But they also want to rescue people off cliffs. They also want clean air and clean water and a habitable planet for their grandchildren. I was very interested in um, a news clip I saw on Fox this morning of um, a Bernie Sanders interview on Fox News of Town Hall with Fox News. Did you see it this morning? Fox News and Bernie Sanders, good for him, went to that town hall, and there's a lot of feeling about why should we go to Fox News because that's where people need to hear what other people have to say. And the interviewer on Fox News said to the group, he had talked about Medicare for All, and he said to this big group of people, how many people here have private insurance? So these are Fox News people. And a lot of them put up their hands. They have private medical insurance. They said, how many of you would be happy to trade for Medicare for All? And everybody put up their hand. And that's a really important thing for people to see. And for that, uh, that interviewer, that, uh, that TV host from Fox News. And I think to myself, whoever in this election, everybody has to talk to everybody. Everybody has to come out from behind their barricades and their symbols and their slogans and talk to everybody and say, who wants this, who doesn't, what do you want? Very moved by that. You have to have a certain amount of goodwill to be able to say, I'll talk to you if you talk to me. I thought that was an uplifting story. Is that an uplifting story? Because I wanted to tell an uplifting story in addition to you talk to each other before we sit, because all of those things the research is telling us are conducive to having a relaxed mind. That uh, Not a mind that doesn't think a thought, but a mind that's relaxed, which is different. It's hard to have a mind that doesn't think a thought. You don't want to have a mind that doesn't think a thought. That would actually be the sign of a tremendous neurological catastrophe. So you don't want to have a mind that doesn't think a thought. You don't want to have a mind that thinks an upsetting thought or a totally captivating thought, one that holds your attention hostage. You want to have an easy mind. Now this moment, now this moment, now this moment. So now we'll sit a little bit with a meditation on now this moment and this moment and this moment. Sit in an easy way. In a, in a routine medical examination yesterday, uh, the, the medical assistant who was taking my blood pressure said, don't cross your ankles like that. She said, put your feet flat on the floor. So I said, I can't reach. The so she said, sit forward on the chair way in the front. I'll put a pillow behind you because your body is more relaxed with your feet straight on the floor. So, okay, so I did that. So, anyway, I passed the blood pressure exam. But I'm telling you that because I always say to people, cross your ankles, whatever you want to do. Don't cross your knees. That's a little too leisurely. But cross your ankles if you want. But I have it on good counsel yesterday. More. <laughs> I don't know if I'll stay that way, though. I like it better with my ankles crossed. So. Sit however you want. But do hold your body up pretty straight so that the breath can go in and out easily. She also said, don't breathe so fast. Breathe a little lower. Take longer breaths in and out for a while. So take some longer breaths in and out.
3: And then let go of the notion of taking a long breath
0: or a short breath. Just let your body do its own thing. It's not that you're not your body, but whatever your consciousness is, it's not the breath, it's not the breather.
2: Just let the body breathe itself. I'll suggest to you a number of techniques that might be helpful
0: in allowing your mind to be continually attentive. One is to feel your whole body sitting just as it is. Notice how it moves as breath comes in and then goes out. Might notice it around your rib cage, you might notice it around your belly. You might notice it around your whole body.
3: But breath goes in and out.
2: You might notice the variety of ways in which your body knows breath in and out.
0: Some people find that if they make a small verbal notation in their mind, in, out, in, out, or rising and falling, rising and falling, any words that are linked to the experience that it keeps the mind more alert. Some people find making mental notes annoying. So see where you are on that spectrum. Do it
3: if it's helpful.
2: I'll suggest another technique in a little while, but maybe experiment
0: with that one some attention to the breath
2: with noting changes in the body in out. If you want to add another technique for soothing the mind you might
0: want to add a blessing for yourself or for someone. You might do a two sentence blessing. May I feel safe. May I feel happy. May I feel safe. May I feel happy. You could do it on every breath in and every breath out. Just change from in to out. If that's a little rushed, do one wish on one breath and one wish on the next breath. (laughs) If you want to, think of someone not yourself and wish those wishes to them. May... John, be safe. May Mary be happy.
2: Whoever you're thinking about today, we we'll do that for a little while, or just be with the breath, or just breathe with sitting with an easy mind.
3: We continue to sit just a little bit longer
0: we bring ourselves into that time of our sitting together where anybody who is moved to mention the name and the circumstance of someone in your life who's in your thoughts a lot these days because there's something especially wonderful happening and because there's something not wonderful happening that the theory of divine abodes, Brahma-viharas that we'll talk about is very much based on the idea that when the mind is quieted, our own natural goodwill that expresses itself as uh, consolation or compassion And also as uh, empathic joy, being freed from its self-preoccupation,
2: can think of other people as well. I'm thinking of my friend John
0: and uh, his husband Ken and uh, their friends Ignacio and Dennis who will this weekend take uh, the ashes of my friend Joelle and uh, the ashes from Joelle's wife, Martha, who died some years back, that was saved for this reason, out to sea, and um, dropped them overboard in what they wrote in their note is a biodegradable urn so that all of them will become together part of the ongoing stuff of the world and I hope
3: the weather is good this weekend
2: I'm also thinking of the people in Paris who are so shocked by the fire
3: in Notre Dame.
2: And the people in the tornadoes in the south,
0: where more are forecast.
3: Reflecting as I always do
0: on the way in which saying out loud what's in my heart and mind and hearing other people say out how I feel even about people that I don't know being spoken about by people that I don't know. That when my mind is soothed and steady and alert, that really the heart
2: resonates with everybody's prayers. May all beings everywhere be able to speak to each other from the heart
0: and understand that we all share this planet and this life together.
2: Anybody want to say anything about
0: the different meditations that I uh, proposed about just sitting there or sitting and having uh, an awareness word like in and out and in and out or sitting there and having a blessing word like may I be well, may I feel safe, may I feel happy, May you feel safe. May you feel happy. Did you notice anything about A and B and C? Did you do A and B and C? Did you ever thought, I like this better than B or this better than C? No, Hilda. I didn't wait, for a wait, wait, wait. Here comes Pam.
4: Uh, Yes, I uh, did the breathing first and then when you suggested the the words I did those as well but then when you suggested putting a name in May Tori be safe, may she be happy I went through everyone I could possibly think of and realized that there's a lot of people's names I don't remember but I went through a history of my life practically in these last few minutes. I'm very happy to hear that. Is that a new
0: idea for people saying every single person that you know? Is that a new idea? I've done it um, lots of times on a mala. Mala's got 108 beads on it. It's amazing. With 108, I have... 20 people probably in my immediate family by birth and by marriage. And so after you use up that 20, you have to be... At all of a sudden you realize I'm coming to the end of my stuff. And if I'm doing one on each breath, then I have to start thinking, okay, all my teaching colleagues... So then I can go through the whole teacher's council. That gives me a whole bunch of other people. And you have to think, okay, all well, the people in my neighborhood, my neighbor, Elta, this other one across the street, and this Debbie I haven't talked to for a long time. And each one brings back a whole piece of life. So it it's really pushes the mind to do what we do in a formal way, usually in, in loving kindness or metta practice. But what it does is it wakes it up. It's soothed because you're really wishing a prayer and your mind is in a blessing space, so it's soothing to it. But then it gets a little bit, wouldn't say agitation, but it becomes tense. You know, I'm running out of stuff. You know, then what do you do when you really run out of stuff? You don't hold your breath. You maybe say that person a few times. Also, Maybe we'll do it at the very end of today or something when I'm doing it, and I come to let's oh well, I certainly I'm not going to say a real name, but maybe I come to somebody and, um, uh, that's in my sphere, somebody in my family or my immediate friends, and I say an X and Y and Z, and as I do Z, there's some like agitation about Z, like, I'm so annoyed with Z for doing this or that or the other. It's generally when there's a moment of ach that comes up in the mind. How many people know what I'm talking about? The moment of ach. <laughs> you don't even not like them. It's just a moment of difficulty. Uh, and then I stay on that person because I notice the ach. So let's say it's Jane or something, and so and so, and Michael, and Grace, and Jane, Ugh, and Jane. Take a breath in Jane, take a breath in Jane, and then the body relaxes around Jane. And when it's relaxed about Jane, maybe it says something, may Jane be well, and then you go on. So you like doing your laundry or going through the contents of drawers and see what has to be tidied up. I always thought that going to a retreat, not even necessarily a metta retreat, but any kind of a retreat, was like taking your mind to the laundry or taking your heart to the laundry, that you go, and in the course of days, you cannot escape from... Ugh, because we get annoyed at things. And to the degree we do, it keeps the heart somewhat um, tamped down. If what we're really trying to do with practice is to have as much heart as possible so that we can bless everyone, so that we can act in a way that's for the good of everyone and do things to help everyone, then we want, I want all the oh, out of my mind. What were you going to say, Jeff? Um,
5: I don't know if anybody else has the problem. I do. You mentioned it. Sometimes I can't remember names. <clears throat> but uh, it seems like human beings have an incredible ability to remember faces. If you've seen somebody once or twice and then you see them randomly again, you... Oh. I don't know who that is, but I've seen them before. So I think I got it from Tony Bernard, but maybe not. A real simple meta practice is to first recall the faces of people that you know, that you love. May they be well and happy. And very soon your mind will just start popping up a picture and another picture. And maybe it's just somebody you saw in the car next to you. And just may they be well and happy. And then you get a political cartoon and you say, may he be well and happy.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, and, and it's it simplifies the whole thing because there's not a lot of, for me, it's very simple. And you, if you ride on BART, you can just do everybody on the train. Mm-hmm. You know, just well and happy, well and happy. And it really does have the effect of, in me, of I feel kinder, not better necessarily, but
0: kinder. So, Because I think that's definitely more true. More kind,
5: uh, the English
0: teachers. More what? More aligned with the Buddha's teaching. No, but if what we want to have, I, and I think we do. Okay, now is a chance. Of, don't forget what you were going to say. But here's the Buddha's... There's, this is a story... Of the moment, uh, it's, uh, you know, how, who knows what the actual Buddha actually did and whether he had his enlightenment gradually over years of practice or whether, as they say in some stories, he sat down under a particular tree at a particular time and he said, I'm not getting up until I really, really understand the causes of suffering. Human suffering. Not pain, but suffering. So because there's really a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is inevitably a piece of people's lives. And suffering is dependent on what what we bring to the moment. The stories that we bring to the moment. I'm not going to allow myself to be sidetracked right now into the story of... um, into the article by Thomas Friedman and Tiger, about Tiger Woods. But I will in a little bit, because it's a wonderful article. Uh, but the name of the, game, the, the uh, article is Tiger Woods and the Game of Life. Because the whole life is things happen, things happen, things happen. The bounce of the ball is this way instead of that way. And the whole of life is how do you deal with the bounce of the ball with a steady mind and a clear intention about where you're going in order to minimize suffering for yourself and everybody else. And all of the things that we, we do, the whole of practice, I think, is an ongoing attempt to make a cordial mind. To When someone asks His Holiness, what's your, what is, uh, what's your religion? He says, my religion is kindness. And I think people think, oh, that's so quaint. What a sweet thing for for the Dalai Lama to say. But it is kindness. I don't think exclusively Buddhism. Uh, I think Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. I think Hillel said that the most important line in the Hebrew Bible is, love your neighbor as yourself. And it really means not only your neighbor, but your neighbor in the whole world. Also your neighbor who's you. Be kind to yourself. It's all about the peace of mind that comes from not having enemies in your mind. Then you live uh, with ease, and I think that you die without fear. I want to become... Well, I already have become particularly banal in, in my metaphors, but... It occurred to me over the weekend teaching the Brahma Viharas, which are the four really wonderful states of mind that human beings can have, which we'll talk about more in a minute, that I thought to myself, instead of calling this workshop over the weekend Befriending Your Life, I have a better name for it now. Next time I teach it, I'm going to, be, I'm going to call it I Want a Mind Like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I want to mind like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Anybody can stop by. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not rushed. They can come in. They can tell me what they want. If I had it here, I would read it to you right now. Here it is. This human being is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. as a guide from beyond. That's Rumi, you know. I think that, was well, a Persian poet, we should probably all have it tattooed over here. Don't have a problem with what comes, which is actually the, say, look what's here, now I'll deal with this. Look what's here, now I'll deal with this. That's really what we want to be doing. We have to have a mind that, like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, So wait a minute, where was I up to while I was responding to what you said, Jeff? uh, uh, Don't know, I was about to tell a story. Thank you very much. (laughs) I did the same thing when I was young. (laughs) I I follow a trail out to here. Mostly I find, find my way back to the trail, sometimes not as well as I used to. It's all right. I know what the trail is. Eventually I'll find it. I don't know if those stories are true. But the story is a wonderful metaphor. story says he sat down, meditated, really composed himself and um, um, emanated goodwill all around him. The goodwill was a protective shield so that As he sat there all night and he said, I'm not going to get up until I'm absolutely clear about why human beings suffer so much. He was assailed by various upsetting forces. And in the folktale and in the pictures and coloring books for children, you see uh, armies riding in on horseback with uh, spears and arrows and all kinds of things to throw and uh and here's the buddha sitting so these are all the aggressive thoughts all the fearful frightening thoughts that might bring up anger and uh enmity and attack back and here's the buddha sitting calmly and then after that they come in from this other side uh uh um not armies, but groups of people that would be erotically distracting for the Buddha. So we want to be very careful to say, who knows what's erotically distracting to people. Whatever's erotically distracting arrives. And here's the Buddha, because what this what this whole story wants to say is there is desire that confuses lust, and desire confuses... Lust is a, is, a, is the traditional word. It doesn't mean lust. It means in people, when their minds are filled with lust, they have one-pointedness. And <laughs> get a catalog in the mail, and I say, I don't need anything. I have everything that I need, but here's this catalog. I'll just look. Look at this top. This is really just what I've been looking for. It's the shape that looks good on me, and it's just exactly my color I don't need it, but look at this, and it's a sixty percent off <laughs> this week. you know this is a lust this is a, you know this is a lust doesn't mean that every once in a while you don't get something for your wardrobe, but it it does mean for me you don't get it the second. you think it over, you think it over. Do I really need this? If I did, hadn't seen it, would I have been thinking, wow, I really need a yellow polka dot top for my summer wardrobe or whatever it is that I just thought about? Or I even think about, look at this. Okay, I'm putting it aside now. I'm doing something else. Uh-huh, I have to go back and look at that catalog again. So then you learn about how the mind gets held hostage by lust and why people say, you know, I'm not even opening this catalog because I don't want to have this being a problem for me. Or whether it's better to open the catalog and just say, I'm doing renunciation. Forget about it. But maybe I could renounce opening it. That would also be... I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but there's so much drama to learn in everything. Every day the mail comes. And there's all these things that you could donate to or not donate to or buy. And here's the Buddha and he's sitting absolutely, with his hand down in a gesture which has been interpreted. He's said to have said, uh, uh, I have a right to be here. I'm not moving from this place until I'm enlightened. I see your armies, Mara, and I am not afraid. Mara in the folklore is the um, evil impulse. I love that statement, you know, I see your enemy. I said it to myself many, many times, not even consumed with lust or consumed with anger, but consumed with confusion. I said, okay, Mara, this is a realm. I'm sitting here until it's not here anymore. And sometimes, just by that finished realm, I'm just going to take 10 exact breaths without my attention wavering. And the realm goes away and the lust goes away and the anger subsides and you think, ah, I don't really need that. And this person that I was annoyed at, they couldn't do other, they can't do better. There's no point in riling myself up. It's not about judging whether what they did was good or not good. There's just no point in riling myself up. If I really think about it, every minute, every moment of upset is a judgment about am I going to keep myself a place of, am I going to keep myself Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or not? The part of the Eightfold Path that says wise effort doesn't mean make a big effort. It means every moment thinking is what I'm about to do going to create a wholesome or an unwholesome state for myself and other people. And then choose to say we're continually coming to forks and roads. (laughs) If I'm in my car and my uh, GPS is telling me where to go and it's unclear and I take the next right instead of the next right, and I didn't understand the next right, if I'm three feet down the wrong next right, it says recalculating. And I really think that we're, we're... we're developing where I am hoping to develop a mind that when I'm on my way doing something which is an unwise move my mind will sort of go ding, 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 ding like a trip wire doesn't it? sometimes does with me. you start to say something and you think ah, do I want to be saying this? no not really I wish I hadn't started because this is awkward but how to take it back anybody know? I mean you know what I'm talking about or how many people don't get what I'm talking about So that particular particular idea of having the kind of equanimity, the kind of poise, the kind of settledness that any kinds of potential mind-storming energies can arise in your mind, and you say, I'm here, I'm just here, you can do your thing, I'm just here. And it said in that story that the reason he can do that is because he has surrounded himself by this big uh, protective shield. Probably my whole entire life, every time I say surrounded by a protective shield, I will think of Colgate toothpaste because when I was a child, it said Colgate toothpaste puts a protective shield around your teeth. Who remembers that? You remember that? every time I say the Buddha put a protective shield I have an idea of him brushing but now I messed up all the people who didn't know that Colgate had always think about it but the protective shield it was his own steady heart that kept him here and kept him from getting upset with this or upset with that not even acting on this or acting on the anger or acting on the fear or acting on the lust but even getting stirred up by the fear or the lust. I see you, Mara, and I'm not afraid. That sounds like a really good mind state to have. Here I am. And it's said in these same texts, in these same folk tales, that as he did that, and he just emanated loving kindness all over him, all around him, that... Uh, all of the uh, afflictive energies that were in his mind turned into fl- that all of the afflicted, aff- afflictive energies that had assailed him turned into flowers and fell down around him and covered the earth with, uh, just carpeted the earth with flowers. That his, um, that afflictive things in your life become flowers around you if you meet them with uh, a loving heart come to think of it that would be a very good picture on a book cover wouldn't it a mind with Mr. Rogers neighborhood what were you going to say Ace uh, so uh,
1: my experience because I'm a bit of a limited meditator is I try to get my mind quiet because usually I'm really, really too busy in there and so then, when you give instructions about blessing people, it takes me. It's like I have to do something yeah. instead of just trying to, I guess, float away a little bit and just stay quiet, yeah. which is not easy for me. So yeah, yeah. I, when well, I felt the agitation of having to start thinking about everyone to bless, I know it doesn't sound really nice, but it's, you know it was. It was just I was finally kind of getting into that quiet place. That is difficult for me to um, access sometimes. Yeah. So that was just my experience that way of having like a job to do while I was meditating. It was just like, I wanted to just not do anything. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you started to say, all right, I better try to do this now. (laughs) So it was a little
0: confusing for me. No, that's interesting because I was going to say, oh, I was so happy that you gave me a job because then I had something to do, not just sitting there. Wait, we'll come back. Yeah, there behind you, two people have something to say. Tell me your name if I don't know it yet. Elsa. And I found that when... I um, started the blessing. It was an immediate access to the heart and to uh, emotional um, feelings. It felt good. Uh I think uh, one of the ways I think about it is either I can be interested in myself or I can be interested in all beings. And uh, of course you can be actually interested in everything. But if I'm interested exclusively in myself, I suffer from that because there's no end of things that are that I, I wish were different or are, are afflictive to me. But if I think about something else, I'm first of all redeemed from the annoying preoccupation with oneself, which is limiting. That's number one, I get rescued from myself. And number two, the act of a benevolent act not only pulls you out of yourself, but it makes you feel good. You did so, you did a kindness. You feel better from doing a kindness. The, I, on the top of all my pages these days, I've written the quote, the surest way to happiness is helping other people. So who said that? The Buddha said it, I suppose. I mean, he didn't say it in exactly those terms. His Holiness probably said it. Eleanor Roosevelt said it. And presumably, that was one of the reasons that her cousin Franklin fell in love with her. He read an essay that she had written where, that, where she said the surest way to happiness is helping other people. And so it's just I, the reason I put her in, not to put her in the category with the Buddha or His Holiness, but I, that she is in the category of people who get it, that we have two ways of being. We can be self-centered. I I don't actually know. Some people say, what if you're totally other-centered and you ignore yourself? I actually don't think that can happen. I mean, sometimes people overshot, overshoot, or they forget to take such good care of themselves, but not out of disdain from themselves. No? Huh? Yeah, they <laughs> or they have a toothache or something, and then you pay attention to yourself. Um, but it's a great relief not to pay attention to yourself. In uh, in nursing homes and convalescent hospitals, they find that people feel better if you give them a plant. I mean, you can't have an animal, you can't have a kitten, except in certain new ones where they're letting you have an animal in your room with you because you feel better if you're taking care of somebody else if in the morning you have to get up and water your plant or clean up the kitty litter or do something else with somebody else feed the animal then you're interested in somebody else and you're not just in your own story which is limiting that the Dalai Lama did say something about he said um, about empathic joy um the definition of empathic joy is really uh, rejoicing in the, good, in the good fortune of other people. It's as if the, uh, you watch the uh, television, uh, the televised uh, run of uh, the publisher's clearinghouse coming to somebody's house, knock, knock, knock. Here's a million-dollar check. Did you ever see that? How many people saw that, publishing clearinghouse? What did you think when you saw that publishing clearinghouse? Anybody had the thought, "What if they can Did you ever anybody send in a publisher's clearinghouse? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? You know, somebody gets it to come. You know, it's just a postage stamp. What if? So, when you were thinking about the publishers' clearinghouse, did you ever think, "What if I won? What would I do?" What would you do when you thought that? Well, if when I want when I win this, what would I do? When I win the San Francisco lottery, fifteen million dollars, what would you do? Hmm. Huh. You know, Dolores, I think so. I think I because my my answer is always, well, I would make a foundation to give it to something, but before that, I would pay off the mortgages mine and my children so nobody has to worry about that then but then i when i've done that cuz i also think okay after i pay off the mortgages well uh, maybe 14 million in the in the in the fund and it's it's very interesting to think because before i won the publishers Clearinghouse, house so to speak i wasn't thinking about paying off people's mortgages <laughs> because i couldn't but all of a sudden, I could. But it makes a lot of sense to me to do that because we really do think of ourselves first. Over the weekend, somebody said, I'm not sure I can do this meta practice. You know, the particulars are not so important. But uh, this person said, the line about uh, just as a mother would give her life to support our one and only child, just so should we towards all beings, boundlessly open our hearts. This person said, I don't really think I can ever boundlessly open my heart as much to everybody more than my children. I think I always, my children are always first where I boundlessly open my heart. Now, what do you think of that? What do you think? You think family comes first. What else do you think? Anybody thinks otherwise? I, there's such a sweet uh, piece. Of, this is a, one of these factoids of data that seem to be uh, that I remember. Let's see if I remember it. In a book called "Behave" by Robert Sapolsky, who did it, who's an anthropologist. Sociologist at UC Stanford and a fantastic uh, scholar and teacher, uh, and an author of many books, who did his uh, original graduate research and for years, years afterwards, continued to do his research on uh, bonobos, chimpanzees, chimpanzees, bonobos, small troops of um, monkeys. And he'd go and he'd live in Africa by himself with a troop of monkeys. They got used to him. Wonderful books if you read them. But uh, a later book, most recently, is called Behave, and it's the neurophysiology of how animals respond. And um, apropos of taking care of one's own, he was saying that uh, observing a troop of. uh, either bonobos or chimpanzees, smallish monkeys. In the afternoon, in the middle of a warm afternoon, where the males are off doing whatever they're doing, the women are sitting in a group, a clump of women, grooming each other. The teenagers and the children are over here playing. And there's a sound of a distressed cry from one of the children over here the first person, the first individual to turn her head is the mother. So, you know, it's a sound of distressed child. And you know your own child's sound. What if the mother isn't there? And, or, you know, what if the mother isn't there? The aunt of the distressed monkey turns her head. That was a really interesting factoid. Isn't it? It's somehow in our DNA. The person who told me the story, she said I don't think I'd be any good at this because I would always think about my own family first. And what I think about is in 1989 when they had the uh, when there was an earthquake just at the World Series opening game. Suddenly there's an earthquake. I was actually sitting in my house with two people who were clients of mine, with therapy clients of mine, and I actually didn't notice because we're sitting in the basement, and my my house was built in 1903. It has 12 by 12 beams in the basement. It hardly moves. You could hear it go. But somebody said, you know, we're having an earthquake. Let's step outside. So we step outside, and then I see really having an earthquake, and I looked at my watch. And I think it was 5 something, 518 or something. And I th- the first thing I thought was, I have four children living in the Bay Area. And I thought, who's on a bridge right now? That was my first thought. Who's on a bridge right now? And I could figure out from what time it was that none of my people were likely on a bridge at that time. The next thought is, whoa, I wonder who's stuck. I wonder what's bad. They said, you want to go watch television? We all went inside my house and watched television. But my first thought is who's on what bridge? I think we're strung that way. Does that seem odd to you? or The aunt turns her head. Everybody is somehow DNA clued in to each other. I actually think that's a great thing. Because then we know who to take care of, and that keeps civilization going. By the way, do you notice all the baby cows sitting in the field as you come this way or that down from Petaluma? There are little baby cows all over the place. And you, you have the thought how does everybody know which cow is theirs? They look all the same, which is a ridiculous thought. Of course, they know. Which cow is there, and so do the cows, because if something happens to their mother, they they have a terrible trouble inducing the child to to nurse to suck on somebody else who's not their mother. Everybody knows it's extraordinary, but his Holiness said um, it's a it's a wiser thing to rejoice in the well-being of everyone in addition to the well-being of your own people because it gives you so much better odds of rejoicing. You know, eight billion better to one odds or eight billion to two odds if you're rejoicing in other people. So how many people were excited to see Tiger Woods win? It was very exciting. This is Thomas Friedman. Although... My day job is writing foreign affairs column for the New York Times, more Persian golf than fairway golf. Thinking about golf and playing as often as I can is my all-consuming hobby. So like millions of others, I was awed by Tiger Woods' comeback for the ages at his winning the Masters at 43 years old. Did you watch it happen? I saw reruns. You saw the actual happen. Were you excited? Oh, Yeah. Were you standing up? Were you you alone and screaming? Yes, (laughs) I was. I thought you might be, actually. That's why I asked you. It's hard for non-golfers to appreciate the scope of Tiger's physical and psychological achievement after he went through four back surgeries and the global tabloid exposure of his industrial-scale marital cheating. If I think of the news I normally cover, it would be as if Bill Clinton came back and defeated Donald Trump for president in 2020. (laughs) Or, in technology, it's the equivalent of Steve Jobs founding Apple, losing Apple, and then coming back and winning all four technology majors, the Apple desktop, the Apple laptop, iPhone, iPad, with a reborn apple. The biggest takeaway for me is the reminder of the truism that golf is a sport most like life because it's played on an uneven surface and everything is on you. The word dukkha, when people say the first noble truth is says everything is dukkha, that word does, is mistranslated as suffering. The 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 word dukkha comes from the word that means the axle in a wooden ox cart. And it's meant, I think, to convey the sense if you were riding on a Himalayan road in a wooden ox cart with a wooden axle, you'd have a bumpy ride. And I think that that's what they're saying. For everybody, it is a bumpy ride. Everything is riding on, depends on how you do it. It's a plate on an uneven surface and everything is on you. So good and bad bounces and self-inflicted mistakes are built into the game. And so the success in golf, as in life, is about how you react to those good and bad bounces. Did you quit? Do you throw in your club? Do you cheat? Do you whine? Do you blame your caddy? Or do you say what the greatest golfers say when a bounce turns against them or a ball ends in a ditch in the middle of the fairway... and only the great shot will get them back in the hole... they will say to their caddy the same two words... watch this... (laughs) and then they pull off a remarkable shot... that winds... that winds... through the trees, over the hill... past the sand trap, avoids the pond on the left... and lands right in the middle of the putting green which is exactly the shot Tiger hit on the 11th hole out of the trees at Augusta National on Sunday. Then he goes on to say that it's, uh, to do that, this is important Dharma, to do that under pressure is stunning, but it is not just luck or even pure physical attributes. It's about practice. Hours and hours and hours of practice. Gary Player, who was a great golfer, used to say, the more I practice, the luckier I get. <laughs> and that's where, for me, the meaning of this comeback, comeback begins. He goes on to say, and his willingness to commit to endless hours of physical rehab, endless hours of practice, an iron will. said, so that's not even uh, the whole of it. You have to have the geography, the geometry, and on top of it, you have to have the emotional and physical mindset to, to in those times of um, particular stress, manage to figure out what you have to do and then have that go through all through your body. Tiger did that several times Sunday, and you could feel the buzz and none of it more intensely than on the Augusta National's perilous 16th hole, where he launched his ball on the perfect arc over the water, softly curving right to left with the terrain, and then landing in the precise two-foot diameter circle so that it would then roll 20 feet down the slope, stop 15 inches below the hole. It is. Life. You never know what's going to happen yet.
2: Yeah. There you go.
4: His struggle kind of started when he started having surgeries, all the stuff with we're talking about, about medication. Put it near your mouth. I often wonder, too, some of his decision-making and some of the hard times he had, To me, I thought, and I was so excited to see him, what you're talking about, but I wondered with all the pain medication he was taking too and all the pain, if sometimes his decision-making wasn't, you know, being on meds and Mm -hmm. everything, that that even makes this success Mm -hmm. even more Mm -hmm. to me because he, um, however he did it, he not only um, won, but he came out of this struggle that was um, really horrendous, more than just golf, um, coming back mm. with his spirit.
0: How, everybody had that sense of determination. I think we got excited about it, even those people who don't play golf. Because somebody was determined to do... It didn't, wasn't it today, two hours ago, that I said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can? Those stories of determination are very inspiring to young children and to old children like us. I think I can. It gives me a way to talk about one more thing today that I want to talk about. It is, um, and it has to do with determination, In case today is the only day you'll ever be at Spirit Rock, I want to say, just to have taught a complete thing, that the sublimest states of the mind, according to the Buddha, are the mind of equanimity, that can stay balanced, and not stay tranquil, that can catch its balance is a better way to say it. That the mind that gets excited and gets thrilled and gets depressed and gets upset and knows it is, and brings it back so that it has clear vision so it can see what's called for um, and move through. What do I need to do now? And the three things that we can do when we move forward is we can move forward with goodwill, with just a kind heart towards all people. We can when we meet a really distressing situation like a motorcycle down and somebody dead and people going to the hospital or we read on TV of something awful or we see children sleeping in cages down on the border. We see mothers hysterical about separated from their children. We can respond with compassion without anger. We can have compassion that's filled with energy. What can I do about this? What should I do next? Look at people in desperate situations. What can I do? What holds that together, the desperate situations, from keeping people from saying "fooey" on the whole world is the sense of people created this situation or people didn't, like tsunamis or whatever. What can I do? Because people will make a difference. I said that I correct myself in mid-sentence because people made this situation. is only half of it. People didn't make the tsunami. But a friend of mine wrote a book about having been in Thailand at the time of the tsunami and uh, in a monastery practicing meditation and getting a phone call from the Chabad rabbi in Bangkok who said, uh, Dr. Rana, there's been a tsunami and a lot of people have been killed and a lot of people are very upset. Would you mind leaving the monastery and go down there for however long? And she went down for a week and just was with people. I mean, you can't do anything. You can't revive people, but you can talk to families. And she wrote a book about it. Just as long as I said that, I'll tell you. The, whole, the book is called Who by Water? Because you never know what's going to happen. You do not know that a tsunami is going to come. You're having a holiday in Phuket and suddenly. Then you keep a balanced mind. You hear about it and then you go and take care of the bereaved. You hear about it and then you do what's necessary. And you hear about something extraordinary, you celebrate it. And you know that at the same time that you're celebrating. Other people didn't win. Other people were second. Other people were depending on it. But here's a moment where someone has done something. Really, I love that. It's like Bill Clinton come back and win the twenty twenty election. You know that that would be a very high bar. You know that, uh, and we get excited that some people can literally and figuratively do a high bar. You know. When I, when I watch the Olympics and you see somebody do something that you could never do, it's thrilling to see that somebody can do that and even with determination, not everybody can play like it's a problem but determination can take you a pretty par, far place and determination to have <coughs> a kind of mind I think we could have. And that's really what um, uh, sympathetic, empathic joy is about. You get excited and you really realize the human potential. Whatever it is, like listen to the Dalai Lama who says, well, you know, I really would have liked to retire in China. There's some beautiful monasteries there. How can he not have bad feelings in his heart for all the Chinese? Apparently not. So when people are determined to do something like Tiger Woods, it's a, it's a lift-up. It's also actually an opportunity for me to read you a story that I wrote once upon a time. So it's a little show-offy to read uh, one's own story. But it's so exactly right, because we are three days two days before the beginning of Passover, which is the story of the exile. of? It's a mythical story. It's a mythical story. There wasn't a Moses, and the sea didn't part, literally. But it parted enough in myth to make it a, a foundational myth for the civil rights movement and for other kinds of enterprises where we say, we have to do this job. Let's do it against all odds. And the job in the civil rights movement as in the story in the Hebrew Bible, is to take people from slavery to liberation. And in Dharma teaching, what I think about is we take the mind from being enslaved by the habits of the mind to being liberated. When we talk about liberating the mind from habits, it's not that the habits don't spring up. It's just that they don't catch us and keep us held captive. That You know, I'm riding along, and I'm suddenly thinking, oh, I don't like it. What's, what so-and-so said today. Maybe when I see her tomorrow, I'll just not be so nice. Like, what are you thinking? Forget about it. Okay, thanks, caught it. I mean, the mind has its feelings, but you don't let them run away with you. You're not held captive by it. When I see them tomorrow, I just won't be so nice, and then they'll wonder, and they'll laugh, and uh, I don't want to entertain that sort of stuff. I really do not and each time I correct it I am determined it become a habit it's like the habit of how many times Tiger Woods hit a ball in a situation like that and knew how to hit it so it would go around this thing and around that thing and take into consideration the wind and the this and the slope I love that line that golfers turn to their caddy and they say, uh, watch this. (laughs) That's in advance of doing it. And so I wanted to read you this because this isn't my favorite all-time story, but it's my grandson Colin's maybe favorite story, and a lot of people like it a lot. And it makes the point about determined to get out of captivity, My grandson Colin's sixth grade, it's, by the way, it's in this book called uh, Pay Attention for Goodness' Sake, and it's a book about the ten paramitas and ten virtues that the Buddha presumably consolidated over the years, and this is the paramita of determination. My grandson Colin's sixth grade teacher invited me to visit her class and talk to her students about the Buddha and meditation. They were completing a social studies unit on India. I was eager to present mindfulness as non-mysterious, sensible, and useful, because first of all, and most importantly, it is. Also, because I'm Colin's grandmother, I wanted to appear regular. Mindfulness is about paying attention, I told them. Think about how useful it is to be able to concentrate here in class, much easier to finish your assignments, isn't it, if you're not distracted by the people around you? I saw that all 26 students seemed to be smiling, nodding, agreeing, and I continued, when we pay attention carefully, we make wise decisions. Do you know what wise means? More nodding and smiling. My grandfather wasn't wise, one girl said. He kept on smoking cigarettes after he knew they were bad for him and he got sick. Other students joined in with stories of people they knew who were or weren't wise. I heard, one boy said politely, that people who meditate can tell the future or know your past or even guess what you're thinking about right now. That's true, I responded. Some people do learn that skill by meditating, but mindfulness is about paying attention. I also heard the same boy continued that people who meditate can walk over hot coals or lie on beds of nails. We saw pictures of that in our book about India. That's true, too, I answered. Sometimes people concentrate so hard that they don't feel pain in the way we usually do. Then they can do those special things that you saw in your book to prove how concentrated they are. Mindfulness is different. Mindfulness is about paying attention in an ordinary way. Colin said, he went on, that you once met a woman who was such a good meditator that she could walk through walls. (laughs) Did you? I did, I said, laughing, appreciating how polite and persistent this young man was in pursuing his point. She was old when I met her. She lived in Calcutta, but some of her students who were my teachers brought her to the United States so people here could meet her. Did you talk to her, he asked. I did, I said. Did you see her walk through walls? No, I didn't, I said. I guess I thought that if my teacher said that she did, then she did. How did she do it, he asked. I saw everybody seemed very interested. (laughs) Well, I'm not exactly sure, I replied. But what people said was that she concentrated so carefully that her molecules all dissolved and she could pass through walls and reconstitute herself on the other side. Everyone nodded as if that seemed reasonable. (laughs) The questioner seemed content, and so the conversation continued on to questions about how to concentrate. We did some mindfulness exercises, some sitting still and eyes closed, some standing and moving. Everyone seemed pleased. I had a good time. Three days later, a large envelope arrived in my mail with 26 thank you letters. 25 began Dear Sylvia, one began Dear Grandma, and all of them were very enthusiastic and thoughtful, citing particular parts of my presentation. I especially enjoyed when we stood up and did mindfulness moving around. I liked the stories that you told about the Buddha. What I've been thinking about is how I can tell that I'm not paying attention. What I've been thinking about is how can I tell that I'm not paying attention when I'm not paying attention? And one letter said, Dear Sylvia, thank you for coming to visit our class. I enjoyed everything you said. But I'm still thinking about that woman who concentrated so hard she could walk through walls. And I've been wondering... What if she got distracted in the middle of walking through the wall? (laughs) Would she get stuck in the wall forever? Yours truly, Robert. That's great, isn't it? I love Robert's letter. In addition to being charmed by his uncomplicated, non-challenging, nevertheless sincerely interested curiosity, I was delighted by by his presentation of the perils of distraction. And I realized how frequently I get stuck in walls. I get stuck in walls of lust or desire, thinking if only things were otherwise, I would be happy. Or I get stuck in walls of anger and resentment when things don't go my way. If I'm not careful, I begin to create scenarios of ever-so-subtle revenge, which further fatigue my mind, and ultimately, when I realize what I've been doing, humiliate me because I'm actually a nice person. Every day I bump into mind walls, walls that feel solid because the impact is painful. Only when I remember that the walls are the habits of my own mind, that I built them, and that they will continue to exist as long as I insist that they are real, can I stop building. Then my mind relaxes and I see clearly. I see that the walls are empty and then I walk right through them. I also admired Robert's determination. He persisted as long as his mind was confused. Sometimes when I'm teaching far from home and people know me only through my books, someone will ask, how does it feel to have a clear mind all the time? And I respond, I wish I knew. This weekend is Passover, and one of the things that, one of the parts of the Passover liturgy, which the whole family sits down together, everybody gets a book with more or less the same story. There are so many versions of the book, but they all start with We were slaves unto Pharaoh in Egypt, and then they come out from there. And uh, they recount the going out, and they say, it says in the instructions, Tell this story as if it's happening to you now. Don't tell it like it happened to people a long time ago. Tell it as if it is you to whom it is happening. And it is me to whom it is happening. I will, uh, (laughs) if I have a say in this uh, Passover liturgy, since my grandchildren have decided that they're going to run the Passover Seder, the Passover ritual this year... If they ask me to say something, I'll ask everybody to reflect on what walls they're stuck in right now. And uh, maybe, depending on, there are 21 people going to be there. How I feel about how psychologically that's going to be, that's going to go over. Maybe I'll say, talk to it, tell the person next to you what your wall is. Maybe not. Maybe it'll upset people or people will get... What if I asked you that now? You don't have to tell people you're deep, as dark, as secret.
2: Can you think of any wall? It's usually the answer to the question, I can't be happy unless... da
0: da 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 da, 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 da. Unless my knee stops hurting, or unless such and such a grandchild feels happier. Those would be walls I was stuck in. You have any I can't be happy unless? You have any walls? Let's take two minutes. Talk to somebody, because you might not want to say into the whole room. Three minutes. Either say I'm not telling you my wall. (laughs) (laughs) You have yours, I'll have mine. What were you going to ask? What? What river are you stuck in? What sea are you stuck in? What sea are you stuck in? Directly from. What do you need to cross in order to be free? Because it's moving and it's changing
2: all the time. What do you
0: need to get through in order to be free? What do you see? Talk to somebody about it. You could talk to your partner about it. Mm. You can talk to me. Talk to
4: her. Talk to him.
0: go home together anyway, so you can continue the discussion. Since you go home together, you can continue the discussion. Yeah, I know
4: that's what I'm saying. Well, she may just contemplate what's going on here, and I don't want to interrupt her. <laughs>
0: You know, here's an idea that I, that suddenly came to me. I taught a class yesterday morning, in which I was happy to discover. Hmm. It's not on. Oh, there you go. It is. It is. They lost the of face. Oh, the behind the ear part. Okay. All right. No, no. I I, I really was thinking. It's noon, and some people have to leave in, in order to be here. Uh, and I was loath to stop that conversation because everybody's got something to say, I'm happy to say. Nobody's got any wall. I, I mean, nobody doesn't have no walls so, that you need a double negative on that, because we, we, otherwise we wouldn't be here. If we all of us were free, we'd just be unless we happened to be in the neighborhood and we'd wander and just just like that. We are here to begin with, because all of us are still. Figuring out, how am, I, how am I going to get out of this wall? Uh, all the walls. But looking at them makes a difference. And telling other people about it makes a difference. So may we all. Um, actually, the, 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 uh, the traditional liturgy says, uh, 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 next year, may we celebrate in Jerusalem, may we all be free. But next year, may we all be free. Tomorrow, five minutes from now, this minute, may we all be free. May that be our determination. I am determined to be free. I don't want to get caught in walls. That'd be a, that'd be a really good thing to say when people say, oh, glad to meet you. What do you do? I'm working on freeing myself from the walls that I'm in. It's <laughs> not bad. Okay. May I, we do see each other next week. Next week, with any luck, we'll see Andrew's video uh, and talk about service and serving other people and helping them makes you happy. You think it's going to work, Andrew? Okay.
5: Thank you for listening.